Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we see this is a very pivotal chapter in the book of Acts. First wave of opposition to your expanding kingdom plan. People coming to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And now it seems as though the governmental authorities were being challenged and feeling threatened. And this has been an issue throughout all of history. So all of a sudden new laws get enacted. New leaders put in position of political authority. Attempting to perhaps restrict the growth of Christianity. Maybe freedom of speech curtailed. Maybe more zoning restrictions applied. So that it becomes increasingly difficult to be able to communicate your word. And what Christians desperately need to be able to understand is that there's a difference between uppercase authority and lowercase authority. And be able to embrace exactly what Peter and John were able to do. When Peter would answer, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And so, Father, in a setting such as ours, as we're marching towards 2020, and we need 2020 vision, relationship of church and state, relationship of God and government, and where is grace in the midst of all this? I pray that we will be, be biblically informed and culturally aware and be able to continuously take the timeless truths and communicate them in timely ways. To know what's changeless, to know what's changeable, and continuously, Father, being able to apply truth to trends. So these moments are important as we see what was happening in Acts and how it relates to life even in the States today. Warm these hearts, engage these minds, and shape these wills. As again, our Father, we've come here to see Jesus, Him only. I'm praying these things again now in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as you've been tracking in the news and you're pondering what's taking place trend-wise globally, and you're considering trends even in recent history, you know that in 1989, there was the fall of the Berlin Wall, and so we are now 30 years past, and there are major celebrations that have been occurring in churches throughout Eastern Europe. As they're thinking about the way in which they stood up to and against communism. We noted uh, last week two significant pastors at that time, Laszlo Tokesh, as well as Yosef Zahn, who spoke from this pulpit several years back. They're heroes in Eastern Europe, pivotal figures who were used powerfully in their country to be able to make a difference. I want to introduce you to still another one in this opening thought 
just as the news of Nikolai Shoshescu, the iron-fisted ruler of Romania, when the news of his flight reached Timisoara, city in Romania, Pastor Peter Dugalescu was poised to speak to 2,000 people assembled in the city square. For hours, speakers have been addressing the crowds from the balcony of the opera house. It was the same balcony that the dictator had spoken to the people of during his annual visits to Timisoara. But now, December 1989, there is a request that a pastor come to speak, and a committee is sorting just who it is that ought to be the one to speak. And they settled upon Peter Dugalescu. As he got up to speak with microphone in hand, he said, I have come to you to speak in the name of the Lord. Shades of Acts 4. As you wanted. For almost 45 years, my age, unfortunately, we have been told there is no God in our country. The communists wanted to take God away from our hearts, from our minds, from our families, from our schools. But I am here in this public square to speak to you in the name of the Lord. And as he spoke from the balcony, Dugalescu could see thousands of upturned faces and hearing shouts of voices hoarse with tears. God exists, they shouted. There is a God. God is with us. Dugalescu continued, the government tried to kill me a few times, but I'm still alive. And I pause to say that if you look up his name on Wikipedia, let's say, you'll find more to his story. And look up and find out other biographical sketches, such as the various threats to his life and to his family that they encountered as a result of being willing to stand up for Jesus in the name of Jesus in the public square. This is a historic moment, he went on to say. Let us turn our hearts to God. Please follow me as we pray the Lord's Prayer. Now, he hadn't asked the people to kneel. This had been a setting where political propaganda had been produced. Various speakers had denied God's existence. But here was a pastor, articulate in the word and bold in spirit, who is now calling upon the people to pray. And though he had not asked the people to kneel, as he looked out, his biography tells us there was a sight that he had not anticipated. 
because in this square where people have been forced to sing the praises of the communist regime for years, before this balcony had been an altar to communism, now as far as he could see, a tidal wave of people knelt on the pavement in December. in the cold, where sentence by sentence, with one voice, they thundered out this ancient prayer, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. When the disciples were being commissioned by Jesus Christ, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and so forth. They must have gripped Peter's heart. Because this man, who had been so timid prior to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, gives evidence of resurrection power in his transformation from timidity to boldness. Because what you and I find, for example, in Acts chapter 2, him proclaiming in verse 21, it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then you will find furthermore that he will challenge them and again and again, such as in chapter 4, verse 12, there is salvation in no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. He has been invigorated by the name of Jesus. All authority is embedded in that name. His is the authorized signature on the church of Jesus Christ. So what I want to do now with you is we're continuing this series in the book of Acts. It's an extraordinary book with the outstanding example, let's say, of this pastor from Romania still residing within our thoughts, I want to draw out now four significant distinctives that are found here, beginning in verse 23, down through verse 31, that help us to better understand that something happens when believers pray. Bearing in mind that as long as believers keep uppercase is uppercase and lowercase is lowercase and not switch the cases, the church of Jesus Christ has a boldness to be able to confront the culture and reinvigorate people with a clear understanding that God is God. So I want to draw out four distinctives here of this prayer gathering. The first comes out of verse 23 and 24, that when civil authorities, they could be religious authorities, or they could be 
They could be secular authorities. But whichever it is, and maybe it's both, but when civil authorities oppose God's work, begin with prayer. You can do more than pray after you've prayed, but you won't get anything done until you've prayed. I mean, you begin with prayer, first of all, emphasizing the sovereignty of God. Not the sovereignty of government, not the sovereignty of your current situation in life where it seems as though it's controlling you, but rather now you are coming together with fellow believers and you are seeking God and you're starting with the sovereignty of God. You say, Gary, where did you get that? Begin. In verse 23, when they were released, when the lowercase authorities released them, notice where they go. They went to their friends and reported what the chief priests, these were religious unbelievers in authority, what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And now you and I are told that when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. There is unity here. And if you're going to make a powerful impact upon the culture, be able to distinguish between unity and uniformity. Unity comes from the person within us. Uniformity is based upon the pressures from outside of us. And when those who are opposed to God's work seek to establish a sense where everybody is walking in step, they will seek uniformity, but they cannot produce a sense of unity. They utilize pressure from without rather than understand the person from within. But now, when Jesus Christ is Lord and the Holy Spirit is residing, the church is the church, and something happens when believers pray, then they come together and the unity from within overwhelms the uniformity of the secular and the religious unbelievers from without. And so they lifted their voice together to God. This is their starting point. And notice what they said, and you are in verse 24. Sovereign Lord. Now, what you and I have got to understand that your God is both transcendent and personal. Not transcendent to the exclusion of being personal, not personal to the exclusion of being transcendent. God is sovereign. And as he is sovereign over all, that does not diminish human responsibility before God. And neither does our responsibility before God diminish the sovereignty of God. They're meant to be held in tandem, you see. But you and I start not with lowercase, 
you and I start with uppercase. And so they acknowledge where true sovereignty is found. Not in cancer. Not in government. Not in whatever employment we're in. In God. When you and I begin to gain a greater understanding of this, then we are somewhat amazed over the fact that of all individuals, it was Karl Marx who wrote these words, either God is sovereign or mankind is sovereign. One of the two must be untrue. And he was Jewish. And his writings were the means by which communism seized nation after nation after nation. Yet Carl Henry, former professor at Trinity and former editor of Christianity Today, when pondering the significance of prayer, penned, Prayer is one of the means God has etched into the cosmos for the advancement of his purposes. Jesus Christ understood that in Gethsemane. Standing next to a tree in Gethsemane that, as a researcher noted, would have been there at the time of Christ pondering where he would have knelt in prayer as he pondered the Father's will. Thy will be done. Likewise, when you and I pray, thy will be done on heaven as it is, in heaven as it is on earth, we're not praying we're not praying in such a way in which we are getting God now to simply buy into the cultural trends that are taking place and say, now, now God, do it our way. But rather, what we are asking God is to allow for God to demonstrate his sovereignty over all. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, not in heaven as it is on earth. Then you move on from there, you see. So now, here you will find that Peter and John, who have been instructed by Jesus in the way to pray, are now demonstrating such a boldness that the ones who had previously hid behind doors are demonstrating resurrection reality that Jesus is risen because would truly men who were so fearful of being identified with Jesus prior to Christ's resurrection, would they be willing to die for a lie if they knew he was still in the grave? No. There's a boldness about them because they know the reality is that the grave is empty. They know that God is sovereign. 
And just as exhibit A, this crippled man is standing before the crowd, and Peter and John have brilliantly been able to demonstrate that the God who can raise a man crippled from birth to walk is the God who raised Jesus Christ from death to life. Now, the lowercase authorities are threatened by this line of reasoning. So here is Peter, and here's John, and they are so bold in their presentation, but I want you to see that what they do is that they are demonstrating that God is personal. On the one hand, they can go, we can go to him in prayer, God is transcendent, on the other hand, he is overall, even though he's with us all, above us, yet with us, but he doesn't end there, does he? He's so good. Sovereign Lord, who made the earth, made the heaven and the earth, and the sea and everything in them, it's encompassing. As we've said, if God can create something out of nothing, he can create something good out of something bad. What are you going through right now? You got some badness happening? Peter and John have just been threatened, and we'll see in chapter 5 they will be threatened again. Meanwhile, freedom of speech, freedom of religion is being restricted by the lowercase authorities. But you see, they've got an uppercase God. And so they start by acknowledging your uppercase, their lowercase. They start with sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them And when they make this declaration prayerfully, something happens when believers pray, even in the midst of opposition. We dip again into history. One of the most bloody, bloodthirsty leaders of the French Revolution was a man by the name of Carriere. And he was responsible for believer after believer after believer being put to death by a secularist government. But one day, one day he told one of the believers about his intent to have this man put to death. Listen to the response. When he said, we're going to tear down your churches, the man responded, that could be but you will have to leave the stars. And while that primer is left, we will teach our children to spell from the heavens the name of Jesus. Feel the boldness. There's a boldness about you when you've got your uppercase as uppercase and your lowercase as lowercase, and you don't switch them. You find your voice. You become an extraordinarily secure man, an extraordinarily secure woman, because you know you belong to Jesus. 
if you know him as Lord, if you know him as Savior, something happens when believers pray. Torn wells. People hurting, people broken, beaten down, and feeling hopeless. Wonder if it's going to always be this way. Who will speak up for the captive, show some love, and heal a past that binds the wounds we think will never go away? I can almost hear it now as he's singing. But what if we could be a people on our knees as one before the king because we believe? Or the world starts changing when the church starts praying. Strongholds start to break, oh, when we pray. Prison walls start shaking at the sound of praising. Nothing stays the same, oh, when we pray. Oh, when we pray. Spurgeon was showing some visitors around in the tabernacle where he was senior pastor in London. After taking them to the main part of the building, he said, I want to invite you now into the heating apparatus. And so imagine the surprise when he took them to a room where 400 people were gathered in a prayer meeting. praying as he was getting ready to go up on the platform to speak. For his Torrin Wells says the world starts changing when the church starts praying. And so now here you will find the first distinctive that when civil authorities oppose God's work, you begin with prayer, emphasizing the sovereignty of God. But second of all, when civil authorities oppose God's work, you begin with prayer, applying the word of God. You move now and you embrace the sovereignty of God as you inch forward to applying the word of God. So you're up to verse 25. And now what we find is that he moves from the whole matter of the creation where God created something out of nothing, where there was no intermediate intermediary where there was no secondary means. And now what you and I find here is that in verse 25 and on to verse 26, he will now use a means, the prophets of the Old Testament, to speak. He is both creational, Peter and John, as well as scriptural. And so now, what they would want you and me to do is to understand the value and the role of the Scriptures when it comes to praying effectively. Now, I want you to be thinking right now about that person or those people, whoever it is, they're so weighing you down. It might be family member, members. And things just seem to be going, going awry. And you don't know what to do. Is it a lost cause? Well, are you uppercase or lowercase in your views of authority? Moving from emphasizing the sovereignty of God to applying the word of God, notice what Peter and John now do when they then recite from Psalm 2 these words, opening verses, verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 2. It's a rhetorical question you start with. Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? 
the kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. Now, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, the Newer Testament in Greek. In the Old Testament, it's, you would go capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Yahweh, the covenantal name for God, you see. But then you ask, but who's the anointed? In the Old Testament, another word for anoint is Messiah, matzah, so to speak. In the Newer Testament, in Greek, the Greek word for Messiah is Christ. So in other words, what we find now is that what Peter and John are saying is that there is opposition mounting against Yahweh and his designated Messiah, his designated Christ that you and I know as Jesus. And Peter's been proclaiming the name of Jesus, hasn't he? He's been doing it with power, and he's been doing it with boldness. But what you and I now see here in this major prayer gathering is that it is biblically saturated prayer. I thought about that when I read of Clarence McCartney, who was the gifted Presbyterian pastor, an upholder of orthodoxy in the nation of a prior era, when he was being visited by his brother Robertson, who was on his way to speak at a nearby church, McCartney was very gifted in his era, proclaiming the gospel, particularly in the city of Pittsburgh, where I had previously been. Well, as his brother was getting ready to leave, because McCartney was getting close to passing away, Clarence McCartney said to his brother, as his brother had speak that Sunday, put all the Bible you can into it, quote, unquote. We could say the same about prayer. If we want the pulpits across the nation to be committed to biblical exposition, and frankly, few are these days, we at the same time need to have churches across the nation committed to biblical prayer. In other words, you are praying scriptures back to God. The most effective way to pray in order to see results. Something happens when believers pray is when we take the promises of God and we pray the promises of God back to God. And this is what's happening now. So take what's weighing on your heart this morning and begin to work through the various promises found in the Scriptures and draw a link between the promises that you're finding there and the God who's waiting to hear your prayer and pray the promise, pray the Scriptures, let them be biblically applicable and Pray God's word back to God and watch what happens. Because as Wells puts it, all the world starts changing when the church starts praying. Strongholds start to break Oh, when we pray. Prison walls start shaking at the sound of praising. Nothing stays the same Oh, when we pray. 
Oh, when we pray, we see revival rising. I see hope on the horizon as a generation stepping out in faith because we will be a people on our knees as one before the king because we believe. Oh, the world starts changing when the church starts praying. And then I think of a pastor in Romania who has the boldness to stand in a setting where atheistic uh, proclamations had previously been uttered and lead people as they dropped to their knees spontaneously, not uniformity, but unity. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name as a Peter would be proclaiming out in the streets of Jerusalem, there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. But now you're on to the third of the distinctives of the prayer of this early church gathering because when civil authorities oppose God's work, you begin with prayer as they did in Romania, as they were doing here in Jerusalem, but thirdly, discerning the plan of God. You've been emphasizing the sovereignty of God. That was your starting point. Then you're applying the word of God, and you've got biblically saturated prayers where you are praying the promises of God back to God. But now thirdly, you're discerning the plan of God, which means at this point you've got to know what's happening in this world. You've got to be watching the news. You've got to keep your Bible in front of you, and you've got to be tracking various websites and news media outlets, what's going on, compare notes. Let's notice how they handle it in verses 27 and 28. They discern the plan of God. They are able to say, for truly in this city, they were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus. Interesting. Whom you anointed. Messiah. Jesus was anointed, made Christ. The local government didn't do it. They're lowercase. So these people go uppercase whom you anointed. And then they add this, and they are aware of current events. Both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. In other words, in verse 27, truly in this city they were gathering together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. Now, you take the previous verses that were a quote from Psalm 2, and now you are interpreting current events with Scripture rather than reinterpreting Scripture with current events. This is good. They recognize the biblical authority, and now they apply biblical authority to interpret what's going on. What is fascinating from Psalm 2 is that it links the first and the second comings of Jesus Christ. 
it's a foretaste, the opposition that Jesus experienced in Jerusalem at the hands of Herod and Pilate of what will come in that final day when our Lord returns. But what also interests us is that the physician Luke not only penned the history of the early church, book of Acts, but he penned the gospel of Luke as well. And what I'll call book one of his two-part series. In Luke chapter 23, verse 12, he tells us something interesting but when Jesus was put on trial, he went before Herod. And Herod sent Jesus back to Pilate. We're told in chapter 23, verse 12, and Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day, for before this they had been at enmity with each other. Now tie that together. Pilate's opposed to Herod. Herod's opposed to Pilate. Herod's opposed to the Jews, and the Jews are opposed to Herod. Pilate's opposed to the Jews, and the Jews are opposed to Pilate. Everybody's opposed to one another. But here, on the other hand, we find Herod and Pilate, Jews and Gentiles, united in one sense of the word in opposition to Jesus. Have you noticed the way that Jesus has a way of going about uniting the opposition? And what was true in the first coming will be true in the second coming when he returns, when all the ethnic groups and nations that have been previously opposed militarily and through other means are united in the opposition of the one who comes in uppercase with ultimate authority. What this tells me then, what tells you then, is that God is in charge and that here it is not. God is in charge, and Pilate is not. God is in charge. The Gentiles are not. God is in charge, and the peoples of Israel are not. And so you get up to verse 28 now, and because God is uppercase, we're able to say to do whatever your hand and your plan have predestined to take place. In other words, Pilate thought he had the upper hand, in reality, he was in God's hand. Herod thought he had the upper hand. In reality, he was in God's hand. And the religious authorities who thought that they had put Jesus to death and now they were done with him, find out they don't have the upper hand because they're in God's hand. Because three days later, Jesus was raised from the dead. This is the providence of God. God is not merely watching events. He's watching over events. He's not merely watching you. He's watching over you. Providence. That means then that Romans 8, 28, all things work together for the good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose, makes sense in this scenario. John Bunyan, Bunyan when he was drafted as a soldier in the Civil War in England, he was about to be sent off to war, and he was just about ready to go when another request came in that someone take his place. Bunyan writes, this man took my place, and coming to the siege, as he stood sentinel, he was shot in the head by a bullet and died. God's providence saved Bunyan 
Bunyan would go on to write Pilgrim's Progress, leading countless people to Christ. Something good came out of something bad. And so the death of a soldier, such who took his place, and as a reminder of the way in which God would do substitutionary strategies to achieve his purposes for his glory, he even used a Herod, he used a Pilate, he used unbelieving rulers, lowercase rulers, to achieve uppercase plans and purposes. So now you and I, we're watching the news, we're emphasizing the sovereignty of God, we're applying in our prayers the word of God. You've got biblically saturated prayers being offered back to God when he first of all produced the promises for you and for me to embrace and then we're discerning the plan of God as we're looking around what's happening in the nation around the world. And instead of asking, where are you, God? You're trying to connect the dots, apply the scriptures, and realize you're suspended between the first and second comings. But you know, this is trending. And those opposed to each other today might be united with one another tomorrow. And now you're ready for the fourth and final distinctive and it comes now out of 29 through 31, that when civil authorities oppose God's work, you begin with prayer, fourthly, seeking the empowerment of God. You want to be bold. You really, I know you do. You want to be a secure man if you're a man. You want to be a secure woman if you're a woman. Where's it come from? This sequence emphasizing the sovereignty of God, applying the word of God, discerning the plan of God, and then seeking the empowerment of God. So you're up now to verse 29. And now, Lord, I love the phrase, and now, in other words, we're getting relevant, contemporary. Look upon their threats. Grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. The very word Luke used to describe Peter and John in verse 13 that got the lowercase authorities ticked off to start with. Now, everybody else wants that degree of boldness. But in verse 30, the reason they can be bold is because while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And there's the name that continues to appear again and again. It's the authorized signature of what is happening I think about that, the name of Jesus, because for those that had the opportunity to be at Mary Vorpal's funeral yesterday, you heard the story about when Mike Vorpal, when I called on the phone a few days before Mary passed, I called at the hospital to check in with the nurse's station to get an update, and then connected with Mike. As soon as Mike saw the telephone number when I called him, before I could even ask him, Mike, how are you and how's Mary? I hear singing, and they're singing over the phone to me. You were the word at the beginning, one with God, the Lord Most High. Your hidden glory in creation now revealed you are Christ. What a beautiful name it is.
What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, King. When they had prayed, the place in which they gathered together was shaken. That's what Torn Wells is we're singing about. Which means that once again, God used environmental means of capturing the attention of the general populace. As in the case of the tongues, where there's this rushing wind, and people come, came to see what was going on. Prior to that, the cross of Jesus Christ, where the sky was darkened in the heart of the day. And now what we find here is that as they are praying, it's as if God is saying, I hear you. I'm with you. I'm transcendent. I'm over you. But I'm personal. I'm with you. And we're told they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continue to speak the word of God with boldness. It's a contagion. Peter and John spoke with boldness. Now everybody else is speaking with boldness. But through it all, we're back then to Peter Dugalescu. I've come to speak to you in the name of God. He would go on to say in the public square, I speak to you in the name of this Lord. God exists, they shouted. There is a God. God is with us. And then as he challenges the people... Let's turn our hearts to God and follow me in the Lord's Prayer. He did not ask for them to kneel, but as he looked out, saw the sight of which he would never forget. They write on the square where people have been forced to sing the praises of Shoshescu for years. Now from this very balcony, which had been an altar to communism, now as far as he could see, a tidal wave of people knelt on the pavement, and sentence by sentence, with one voice, they thundered out the ancient prayer, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. People, something happens when believers pray. Let's stand together. We need to be politically aware. We need to be culturally aware. We've got to understand trends. But we've got to be committed to truth. We don't allow trends to reshape truth. We take the truth and reshape trends. We don't substitute uppercase for lowercase, and we don't substitute lowercase for uppercase. We let God be God. And when the church is the church, and we understand where true authority is found, what a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus. We give you the praise. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.